0: Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages, at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando.
1: You know, last week, Danny continued in, in this idea of stewardship. And we're still in the series for 1 um, Corinthians uh, chapter 4. And I want to talk to you a little bit about stewardship. And as a part of that, I, I, I want to share this with you. Many of you have read ahead. That's what I always do when I go and I'm hearing somebody preach. I, um, and if it's a passage I'm not as familiar with, I'll read it, but I'll read past it. Any of y'all do that just to see what's coming after it? You know, I, If you've read chapter 5... It gets really interesting. The church in Corinth had a myth. Now, here's what I want you to know. Chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8 are very, very challenging to the church. Man, it's something we need desperately today. But we're going to provide special programming for your children. Because these chapters have things in them. I try to be careful with what I say. I don't always achieve that. And I get a lot of uh, emails from parents say, "Uh, my child asked me on the way home. I don't want to have that conversation. It's very difficult stuff. It's sexual in nature, a lot of it. A lot of it is relational. But let me tell you why it's so important. If you as a parent feel like, no, I I want my kids in there, that's great. But don't write me and say, hey, well, wait a minute. You talked about this. I'm going to read this just like it is. And we're going to get honest and we're going to get real and authentic with God's word. Now, I got a job as a pastor. My first church, I thought I had landed in this beautiful, perfect bubble I mean, there were only 21 people there that day. How can this church be messed up? There's 21 people. It was a nightmare. I loved them, and I cried like a baby the day I left them. Three years later, when Rachel and I moved on to Fort Worth, the seminary. But can I tell you, the first phone call I got six weeks after being called as their pastor was shocking. I'm going to tell you about it on the day we start chapter 5. Because it was one of those calls where I go, wait a minute, you're what? And he's doing what? It was unbelievable. It opened my eyes to the fact the church is made up of sinners saved by grace. And sometimes our sins will find us even in this place. And so how beautiful a testimony is it that the grace of God could take a bunch of messed up people and he could put them together and call them a church and bring glory to his name in this, in this world. I just think he's an awesome God. One more time. Can we give him praise for that? So just remember, the week after Easter. Next week, we got a great guest. I'm telling you, if you've ever read the book Boundaries, incredible book. It is so good. Necessary Endings. I mean, there's others. He's going to be speaking next weekend, and he's going to be talking about trust, which I think there's been an erosion of trust in our culture. I'll be quite honest. I hear the news. I don't trust anybody. I read an article. I don't trust it. I find myself leaning that way. I don't want to be that way, but I've just kind of been burned enough. He's going to talk about trust and how important it is to relationships. After that is Palm Sunday. We're going to look at Palm Sunday through the eyes of a blind man, Bartimaeus. He was there, I believe, Palm Sunday. He saw more than those who had never been blind saw. And then the following week, of course, is Easter, that great celebration. So we've got some wonderful weekends coming. I just want to give you a heads up and know that this this passage is coming. We're going to be prepared for it. Now, Danny laid out this idea of stewardship, that we all are to be faithful stewards. Okay, let me just make that as simple as I know how. It's not as much about what you have, it's what you do with it. Okay, so we're not going to be judged one day or evaluated one day on the basis I had a lot of stuff or I didn't have much. I had a bunch of toys or I didn't have any toys. No, no, the question is, what are you doing with it? And every one of us will face that question. The second thing, everything we have anyway belongs to God. Am I right? I mean, everything we have. God is the one that gave us breath today. He's the one that helped me and and is getting me through with all the allergies. I mean, God is the giver of every good thing. The only thing he didn't do is fruitcake, but that's another season. It's just, we have to recognize all we have is God and from God. Third thing, what you have will not last. You realize that car you love so much, not going to last. I mean, I drive a truck. I love trucks. I like my truck. I'm driving a Ram right now. and I hadn't driven one in a long time, but I really like it in this morning. I came that close to, bye-bye, Ram. I'm looking for another one. Seriously, our stuff isn't going to last. Houses we build, bank accounts, all that stuff, the Scripture says it's all going to go. The only thing that lasts is what you do with that stuff. Because if you touch a life for Jesus, that lasts Forever. And then the last thing is, one day we're going to have to give an account for the stuff. One day we're going to have to give an account. I used to build houses. And whenever the foreman, he was actually the general contractor, the owner of the company, he'd leave me in charge of the framers. And I'll never forget the day we were framing a house, and you can either put studs. We were all wood back then. We used wood. You can put them on 18-inch centers, or you can put them on a foot centers. Foot centers cost you a lot of money. 24 inch centers save a lot of money 18 was kind of the preferred so I remember one day we're building this house and we had framed the entire house a house of about 3 to 4 thousand square feet if I remember right he drives up he looks at that, that those framed walls I see him kind of doing this and then the moment came He took his tape measure, and he walked over one of the walls, and he measured. And he turned around and said, what did I tell you? You told me to put them on 18-inch centers. No, I didn't. They wanted wanted 24-inch centers to save money. I said, well, it costs us a few extra boards. <laughs> he said, no. Tear it all out. I'm like, what? I have to redo everything we did all day? Yeah. Can I tell you one day I'm going to stand before him, and I know I'm going to hear him say, what, what did I tell you to do? I just want to know that I did it. So for every one of us, look at this verse. We've already been over chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, but look what he said. Each one's work will become manifest for the day. We'll disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. What that verse is saying that every one of us will stand before the giver of everything we have, and we will have to give an account for what we did with it. Now, people get hung up. Well, is that fire? Is that really, is it a literal fire? Is it going to burn anything up? Or is that just kind of a way of saying it's going to, I really wouldn't worry about that question. The question I know the answer to is we will stand before him and give an account for everything we've done. And so stewardship is just recognizing that and saying, I want to be faithful. And I want to talk about one of the things you have that everybody has. We don't all have the same stuff. We don't all have a lot of stuff. We don't all have resources that we can give and though we would want to give, here's what we all have. You have your life. You have your life. What are you doing to help another person? What are you doing to invest in somebody else? We have relationships. Are you using your relationships to move somebody closer and toward Jesus? Or is it just relationships don't really matter? Paul says they matter. So he wants to tell us, you got a lot of guides, but you need fathers. And let's find out what that means. If you've got your Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be down starting about verse 14. The reason this matters so much to me, let me say it this way. I've always had this concern that as a church, we would be a mile wide and an inch deep. What that means is we would gather a lot of people. We'd have a lot of people and we could say, man, we had so many today. And by all accounts and by all measurements, we are a mega church. But is that what the mission of the church is? Is it just to see how many people can show up and we count? Or is there a call to do something with them? Is there a call to take this place and make it a place where relationships grow us to be more like Jesus? So for me, I I just think that's the calling. That's what I want more than anything else. And I've got a confession that I'm going to make in just a few moments. Because if there was something I wish I could do over, I'll tell you what that is. But I know now, Richard Foster, the writer, author of Celebration of Discipline, said, superficiality is the curse of this age. I don't want you to point to anybody. I don't want you to raise your hand. But how many of you have some friends that are so shallow? They're so superficial. And you finally, it just wears on you. It's like everything's a crisis. Well, my shoes don't look good today. I don't know what I'm going to do. Life is falling apart on me. Get over it. And there's this cry in us. Come on, life is more than about what that or that. Superficiality is where the church is in many places. We come in, we see, hey, how you doing? How you doing? You doing okay? Yeah, I'm doing good. Good to see you. And then we go right back to living lives that are miserable, living lives that aren't honoring God. We're not getting more like Jesus, becoming more like Jesus. It's just not happening. And I just feel like there's another way to do this. And there's a better way to do this. We live in a world where we got enough help out there. You can get all the input. You can get all the advice on social media. But maybe that's part of the problem. So I went to, I went to he used to be our student pastor. And I just got a world of respect for Chris Bacon. <clears throat> Chris is now over uh, Next Gen, which would be determined or defined by... Uh, young adult all the way down through babies and i went to him and said what do you think the effect of social media is on the psyche of teenagers and young adults to listen to this this generation is facing an unprecedented challenge that social media gives instant access to world events and can create the illusion of relational connection the illusion. Every time we log on to social media, we're offered a limitless range <clears throat> of both positive and negative interactions. This creates an instant dopamine. Now, dopamine is, is a chemical that the brain releases that creates pleasure. It's euphoric feeling. I mean, it's, it's you know, you know what it is when something good happens or you read something. And it, oh, it feels good. But watch this. This instant dopamine creates that feeling of pleasure and satisfaction. There are dopamine spikes, but they're without the guardrails of safety, comfort, and care of relational connection. And it it can lead to a reliance, an addiction, I would say, on spikes which are not sustainable. It creates a need for more dopamine with less return. Increase fear, anxiety, and depression. So basically what he's saying is, we look to places to try to find that hit, that emotional hit. And we've learned to sacrifice depth with just that instantaneous moment. Did you know that the average American will not 70% 70% of the average American will not watch a video on social media if it's over one minute long. You know what that tells me? Those of you streaming, good night. Uh, Thank you (laughs) for being a part. Seriously, God bless you for still being with us. But that tells me that everything's done quickly and just the surface. So we skim through life with no real relationships no depth and that matters when you need depth when you need somebody to show you what would jesus do or how do i get through this and so paul says i know what you need you need more fathers so read with me if you've got your bible open i'm reading first corinthians 4 verse 14 i do not write these things to make you ashamed but to admonish you as my beloved children For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my my ways in Christ. As I teach them everywhere, in every church, some are arrogant as though I weren't coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I'll find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you want me to come? How do you want me to come? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? May the Lord add his blessing to that word. I love this. I've taught this all my life. I've known about it all my life. Let me have some water. but I don't know that I've ever really stopped and said, okay, Lord, what, what can we learn from that church? What can we learn from what Paul's saying? Well, I know one of the things we ought to learn is there's a bunch of guides out there. He says you have multitude. In fact, the word he uses could be thousands of guides. Now, guides aren't all bad, but guides' primary focus is information. They, they, they teach you stuff, but they don't have a relationship with you. I mean, for example, you, you take TikTok. Let's just use TikTok as a platform. We checked, and the number of Bible teachers and preachers that you have access to, with one touch on your phone, 1,790 you need any more gods? They're everywhere. But he said, you don't have fathers. You got a lot of people telling you how to live your life, telling you what to do, telling, giving you information and all of that, but nobody is really investing in you and knows you. And so Paul says, I- I'm your father. So if, if I could say it this way, a guide talks more about the words of Jesus, okay? Words of Jesus. But a father, and I'm going to use the word coach, because that's, that's kind of the environment I grew up in. I, my coaches were, were like a father to me, and they poured into me, and they invested in me, not just on the court or on the field. They, they really cared for me, and we got guys and girls here today that understand that. Some of you, that if you were in the band, band directors become that same thing. Any A teacher can be that. So I don't use fathers like a masculine ge- or a gender kind of thing, because Paul even calls himself later in Thessalonians, he calls himself like a nursing mother. So it's, it's not just a guy thing. It is a coach or life counsel kind of thing. It's just somebody that cares for you. And they want to take you closer to Jesus. They want to help you learn how to live more like Jesus. And Paul says, that's what we need. And so he announces, he said, I'm your father. Y'all ever remember that line in a movie? I am your father. I can't sound like Darth Vader this morning, but I am your father. Well, here's the Christian version of that. It was a meme that came out (laughs) later. I like the ending. Well, first of all, through God, all things are possible. So jot that down. Well, let me tell you, all things are possible. You can be a coach. You can make a difference and leave behind an incredible legacy. You can stand before him one day and go, I use what you gave me. I used every day and I used my life. To help somebody become closer to you. You can do that. And the goal of a father or a coach. Is transformation. Or let me put it this way. The ways of Jesus. The guide. Words of Jesus. Facts. Information. But a coach. Transformation. He he wants or she wants you. To be able to live more like Jesus. So I think. There is a need in this church for a lot more coaches. Some of you are doing it, and you don't even know what you're, I mean, you don't technically understand what you're doing, but you're doing it, and, and I want to commend you, but there's others of that can do it, and then there's a group in this church, even this morning, that are learners, and you wish you had somebody doing that for you. You wish you just had the benefit of somebody helping you understand the ways of jesus and help you understand how to become more like christ so so we really do have both groups i want to talk to the coaches for a minute you don't have to be ordained you don't have to been the seminary you don't have to do this that you don't have to have this gift that we always want to say well but i don't have what it takes yes you do do you know jesus do you love jesus well, then you can help somebody else to love him too. You can do it. I'm not the only one. The pastors are not the only ones to do it. Listen, if we're up living according to pastors, I mean, you realize pastors are paid to be good. Y'all realize that? And the rest of people here are good for nothing. So that's the way it works. (laughs) Just kidding. That's an old, old joke. We don't want hired gun mentality. Where, oh, the pastors are the ones supposed to be doing the coaching. No. There will be people stand on this platform that speak incredible truth. We heard one last week. Danny did. You'll hear others. I am not the only one who can stand here and do that. I'm not the only one who can pour into your life. There are people all around us that can do it. In fact, what I would say, you don't even have to be the one to have led them to Jesus. Paul, I don't think he led all the Corinthians to Christ. Now, he did a lot because he came with the gospel. He calls Timothy his son, and you know who led Timothy to Christ? You know who had the greatest influence in Timothy? His mother and grandmother named Lois and Eunice. So it doesn't mean you have to lead them to Christ before you. That's great if you do, that's awesome. You can be a coach. And we're going to give you a very simple and practical way to do it. In fact, let me suggest this. Start at home. Start at home. Listen, parents, you you have children. Don't ever quit trying to be a coach for those children. Don't ever quit trying to help them become more like Jesus. Now, it's a mutual thing, and we're all growing and learning together. I mean, my daughter brings me this this morning, and bless her, it's helping. I don't know what it is, but it's helping, okay? We remember when God gave his people instructions in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's called the Shema, based on the Hebrew word for hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. This is what's in every mezuzah. If you ever go to Israel, or even if you go to a Jewish family uh, here in the States, they'll have a mezuzah on the doorpost. And you'll see them touch it when they go in and go out. What's in that? This verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then there's this part. And you shall teach this to your children. When you walk by the way, when you sit with them, when you lie down with them. In other words, it ought to be the most natural thing. You as a parent are like a coach. You're just helping them to know how to live for Jesus. What about as a teacher with fellow teacher? What about as a, as a, as a um a business person. I mean, you, you work in an office and there's somebody in there that you, you really feel like they need somebody to help them to be a coach for them. What about those around you? There are people sitting by you every Sunday. You may not realize they need somebody. They want somebody to invest in them. So it doesn't have to be complicated. It's very simple. And it doesn't have to be one-on-one. You may have two or three people that you are doing that with. And I'll make it even more simple. Two things I want you to get, and you can be a coach. Number one, love first. Above all things, love first. The way Paul started what we read today, verse 14 says, I want to admonish you. I don't want to embarrass you. I want to admonish you as my beloved children. You see, Paul loved those guys. And you know what happens when you realize somebody loves you? You listen to them. You listen to them. Listen, when somebody that truly loves me comes and gives me a hard word or something that I I may not want to listen to, I listen. Rachel, I'll take the one that loves me most. She can have those conversations. Now, sometimes I bristle for a moment, but I need to learn to listen to her. I can't, I can't. Tell you all the conversations that go like this, but let me tell you about one. There was a man and his wife who lived here. Their families were here, and they've since moved to North Carolina, and he is retired. His name was John Ridenauer. Some of you might remember John Ridenauer. He he and he and um, his wife taught in uh, prep for marriage. John Rydenauer. When I got here, great guy. Ah. Oh. Man, I loved the guy, and he loved me. There was no question. But let me tell you how a conversation would go on a Sunday morning or whenever. I can remember him sitting over here one time, and I walked over to him and said, Hey, John, how's your day? How was your weekend? He looked me in the eye, didn't answer a question, didn't say, Hello, how are you? He looked me in the eye and said, What have you done for Rachel lately? I said, Hey, John, it was good to see you too, man. I'm glad you're here. (laughs) He goes, What have you done for Rachel? Have you taken her anywhere? Have y'all gone out to eat? Have you told her you love her? That was the conversation every time. But you know what? I listened. And I appreciated him so much. You know why? Because he loved me. Some dude on the street walk, and said, hey, what have you done for your wife? I'm like, wait, dude, that's not your business. Let's just move on. Seriously, love opens doors. And it allows people. I had a dear friend once who was a smart guy a businessman had all kind of businesses and he was the chairman of the finance committee not in this church it was another church and i was in a finance committee meeting i shouldn't have been in the meeting beginning with but anyway i was in there you know and i was sharing my wisdom after the meeting he said can we talk i said sure <laughs> we were out in the hallway he goes hey let's make a deal i said what's that deal he said You worry about the preaching, I'll take care of the finances. I said, what do you mean? He said, we don't need your, uh, (laughs) in the finances. And I said, that sounds like a good deal to me. That's great. It worked. Now look, the reason I let him speak to me and say that to me, and I heard it the way I did, he loved me. You need that in your life. And you need to be that when it is required. So love first, above all. Number two, live worthy. Live worthy. Did you know people follow what you do quicker than what you say? Can I just tell you something about a funeral yesterday that I was part of, a man that I loved. He would sit right up there. His name was Rob Hurd. He and June had two children. They were long-time members here. I heard yesterday for the first time, I never heard this. When they married and started having children, he drank all the time. And he quit cold turkey. No alcohol. And somebody asked him one day, how'd you do that? He said, I did it when I realized That my kids would follow what I did a lot quicker than they'd follow what I said. And I didn't want to be asking them to do something that I wasn't willing to do myself. Man, that just hit me. When we live and give them a risk. That's why Paul said, imitate me. I'll show you the ways of Christ by the way I live. This wasn't an arrogant statement. It's a practical statement. I'm going to live the best I can so that you can follow. So what I would say to you is, that's the greatest part of this. Coaches don't have to worry about, are right, we, we teaching lessons? Do I have to know a bunch of scripture and memorize it? No. You need to show them how to live for Jesus. Howard Hendricks once said, you teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. And that's where it happens. So for me, I just feel like that we can do that. I know in my life, I was called to a church one time. We had pulpit committees in the Baptist tribe. If you're not from the Baptist tribe, we, we send committees. It's like headhunters, right? Going to find a pastor. And there was a particular church, Rachel and I, we felt the Lord leading. We moved there and became their Pastor. And I'll never forget them saying to me, you know why we called you here? You know what we looked at? We didn't look at your sermons. We didn't look, we did, but that wasn't the most important thing. The most important thing was how you treated your wife. One lady said she actually followed me to see how I would treat Rachel. We watched how you treated your kids because that was the greatest lesson. I'm, I'm convinced today the greatest sermon I will ever preach in this church is not from this platform. It's what happens when I walk off this platform. There's Anybody can come up here and communicate. If you're an actor or an actress, you can get up here and make people laugh. You can make people cry. I mean, without the anointing of God, but you can still do all that. Everybody walk out go, oh, that was great. That was, they were awesome. But I tell you what matters more than this right here is how we live every day of our life. Are we showing somebody how to follow Christ? We can do that. So here's my confession. If I had it to do all over again, I would have been more disciplined to be a spiritual father or coach. More than just a teacher. I've taught this book both professionally as well as every Sunday for a long time. But I look back and wonder how much of it was just teaching the words of Jesus. And not showing how to live the ways of Jesus. And I wish I could do it, go back and change it, but I can't. But you know what I can do? Start today. And I'm just telling you for us here at First Orlando, we're not only going to be guides. We're going to be coaches. And we're going to create something here that's not a mile wide and an inch deep. It is rooted in the love of Jesus in relationships where we're helping one another be like Christ. Can we affirm that and just give the Lord praise? That's our desire more than anything else. So what's the next step? How do we do that? What should I do? You're sitting there, okay, what should I do? I'd like to be a coach or I really would like a coach. David Loveless is coming up. David and I have talked about this. This is an area where David is really It's been so helpful to me, and he's done some great work. So I want him to to tell you, here's what we're going to do, and here's what a next step for you today could be. All right, David? And by the way, God, thank you for getting me through with my throat and my voice.
0: Amen. Thank you, David. If you feel challenged by this message, we just want to encourage you to text the word COACH to 40777. And this, later this week, if you do that, later this week, uh, David and I are going to send you a video we're doing together and talking about a very simple process. In fact, I'm creating a very simple pra- uh, training PDF that can help you do that. Now, I'm guessing if I'm sitting in your seat today, what many of you are thinking is, I'd love to be a spiritual parent or coach to other people, but I don't feel qualified. I don't feel like I'm mature enough or far enough along. I don't have all the training I need. Hey, check this out. You always are one or two steps ahead of other people, some other people that you know in your life, in your family or friends or people you work with. So look at this. To me, the best kinds of Jesus followers look like this. You're reaching behind you and you're bringing someone else along that you're just one or two steps in front of that. And at the same time, I want to be reaching ahead for someone that's one or two steps ahead of me so they can be guiding me. To me, this is a perfectly positioned Christ follower. Well, we want to show you how to do that in such a simple way. So again, just if you'll text the word COACH to 40777, we'll send you that video later on this week as well as a PDF. We believe that God's called us here at First Orlando not to just dispense the words of Jesus out of Scripture, as important as absolutely vital that is, but to use that foundation to then show people, here's how you do it. Here's how you can come and imitate me. The fantastic news is you don't have to be a perfect example. All God's calling us to do is to be a living example. So that's why we want to invite you as a part of this journey with all of us. So let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for the words of the text of Scripture today, for the challenge that's right there. Lord, all of us want to learn how to be what we most often feel the least qualified to do, and that's to lead others. So Lord, I just ask that you would motivate all that are here today that you've really called to be a, a spiritual parent or coach to several other people in their life. And Lord, I, we just ask that you give us some brand new opportunities in the months and years ahead to be able to train up a whole new generation, not only in the words of Jesus, but in the ways of him. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for coming today. Look forward to seeing you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.